My friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Today, we're continuing to look at Jesus' warnings of the dangers ahead in living the Christian life. We're covering Luke chapter 17, verses 1 to 10 in our journey through, well, the entire Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, but indeed the entire Bible, verse to verse. Today, I want you to imagine you're driving down a road and suddenly you see a sign that says danger ahead. In such a situation, what are you likely to do? Well, I would say two questions would pop into your head. They certainly would mine. One is, what is the danger? And secondly, how can I deal with it? It seems that Jesus here in in these passages we've been looking at in the last few days is doing something similar. He issues the warning and then he addresses the situation that people might read further down the road. Now, the passage does that it holds up the sign and in this occasion on this occasion he's warning the disciples of an impending danger ahead he's preparing them for something that he says will very likely happen to us in our life so in the passage at hand that we're going to look at today in the opening verses it's hard to tell the context that's provoked Jesus to say such a things So it seems he's anticipating something that's going to arrive very soon in the future and he's trying to prepare his disciples and by nature us for that eventuality. Now among the various things he's mentioned, the first one we looked at yesterday which was developing a spiritually unhealthy attitude to the accumulation of wealth and money. But today he deals with the situation where someone is sinning against you. Is that something that's likely to happen in our lives? I think so. This wronging you could involve being lied to or having something stolen or being betrayed or even cheated out of money. So Jesus here instructs his disciples on how to handle such situations and he's going to give us some specific advice here in the opening verses of chapter 17. So welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Okay, let's kick it off by immediately dropping in and reading the text, picking up where I left off last time. Luke chapter 17 verse 1 tells us this. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone around their neck than cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourself. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. And even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. He replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you had a servant ploughing or looking after sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink, and after that you may eat and drink? Will he thank the servant because he did what he told him to do? 
so you also, when you have done everything you've been told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. So Jesus begins here by emphasizing that there are three types of offenses that are inevitable, but warns of the dire consequences that await those who cause, who commit such offenses. He advises us to rebuke a brother or a sister when they sin against us, but then, of course, to forgive them immediately if they repent. And we're to do that even if they repeat the offence multiple times. We are to keep forgiving them. This shows, well, it demonstrates, doesn't it, the importance of forgiveness and the fact that through that you can have reconciliation and an ongoing good relationship with people. Additionally, Jesus addresses the disciples' request to increase their faith. And here again we see him use the analogy of a mustard seed, saying something as small as that can grow into a massive tree, highlighting the power of even the very smallest amount of faith and how it can accomplish great things. We covered that previously when we talked about it growing into a mustard tree. Interestingly, in the translation I read today, it was translated as a mulberry tree, which is uh, unusual, but of course, a mulberry tree in itself is a very large tree from a very small seed. Anyway, I digress. Further, Jesus then discusses and rounds this section off today with a whole, whole passage on a discussion on the concept of what is true servanthood illustrating that first as servants our primary role is to fill our duties and that in a sense we shouldn't really have any expectation of any recognition or reward of that he emphasizes that the position of servanthood ultimately requires humility and obedience really little else other than that and in serving others and serving the masters he is reminding us that we are simply to do our duty and in doing that then of course there will be some benefits for us but that's not meant to be our motivation for doing it now while this passage may be challenging to interpret for some most commentators would argue that there is a unity across the various three parts of it despite how they might seem disconnected at the first glance the first point I'd like to make is Luke's desire to provide. Remember, he said himself in the opening of the passage when writing to Theopolis that he wished his ultimate motivation was to provide an orderly account and suggest that he wanted to give careful consideration to what he was saying, a sort of logical presentation of what, he, what he'd witnessed, so to speak. So in laying it out in this way, we can assume that Luke recognizes the connection between the different aspects of this teaching that are found in this passage. Overall, Jesus' teaching here in this passage will see very obviously emphasize the importance of forgiveness and reconciliation, along with this concept of human obedience and the power of faith. So he's saying these things are all interlinked, all serve each other, and all are essential for navigating the challenges that he's warning that will come up to believers in everyday life. In the opening couple of verses, he begins the passage by warning the disciples about the impending dangers, and he actually says, I'm now going to provide you guidance on how to navigate through them. So to fully grasp the meaning of the passage overall, it's important to pay attention 
2, the three aspects, the three details, and explore how to each other and the parallel passages which also cover this same teaching in other places, particularly in Matthew chapter 18. So starting with the opening verse, we see that Jesus states that it's impossible to avoid being offended in life. Now, offence in the context that has been writing here are actions that would cause or likely cause you to sin if you don't respond to them properly. In Matthew 18's version of this same passage, he clarifies that these offences come from the world, but they always originate usually from unbelievers, but sometimes also from believers themselves. So in Luke 17, Jesus is referring to dangers here arising from interactions mainly with unbelievers. Moving on to verse 3, we see Jesus address how to handle such offences and then saying how to also handle them if they occur from a brother, indicating that this may, on occasion, happen from a fellow believer. And here, of course, the emphasis is very much on, because they're a fellow believer, the idea of reconciliation. In other words, allowing forgiveness to reign within the community of Christian believers. Now, although in this passage Jesus doesn't provide specific examples of offences, it is implied because they've been done, they're serious enough that they might lead people into sin, which could result in severe judgment for the offender because that person has done something, he's offended someone in such a way, it's so profound that it might lead the one on the receiving end to potentially become disillusioned, cynical, and even fall into sin. So in summary, Jesus is warning his disciples about the, inter about the danger of interactions, firstly with unbelievers, but then with believers, instructing them that the path should always be one of reconciliation to try and hold peace within the community. He preceded it by warning us about the inevitability of such offences, and here he's discussing the responsibilities and the reactions of everyone faced with that situation. So underpinning it, we can see that Jesus is highlighting the seriousness of saying or doing things that might cause other Christian believers to fall into sin, emphasizing that the offender, the person who does that sort of thing, that there are going to be severe consequences for them in doing so. In Matthew 5.32, Jesus specifically spoke about divorce and remarriage, stating that if a man divorces his wife for reasons other than sexual morality, he in fact, by doing that, causes her to commit adultery. Her being that woman with whom he committed the act of adultery with. So this verse illustrates just in one way, as one example, how one person's actions influence the other person to sin. And similarly in Luke 17, Jesus warns about offences. Whether the type of offences that can lead others into sin, then the responsibility of that, of causing the other person to sin, falls on them and is very serious. Now within that, we've got to recognise the tension that while our actions may influence and can contribute to the actions of others. Ultimately, with God's view of free will and responsibility, we are always held accountable, ultimately, for the own cho our own choices we make. 
But Jesus here is trying to get to the root cause here and emphasizes the importance of avoiding such actions in the first place that lead others to sin, the severe consequences if you cause a brother or sister in Christ to stumble, and how if you're on the receiving end of that, you mustn't let that occurrence affect you in that way, and how you must indeed first of all confront the person and if they repent forgive them and if not leave it to the Lord. So you can see what's going on here in a sort of dual attack he's warning the disciples about the two potential dangers one coming uh, in terms of sinning offending against believers and the other unbelievers and he vividly describes the severity of the consequent of the consequences of those who cause such offences, suggesting that it would, well, what strong language isn't it? it, would be better for them to even face a violent death to have to endure the judgment they will receive from God by ultimately being the one who caused another unbeliever to stumble in their faith. When we pick it up at verse 3, we see Jesus instructing his disciples to take heed for their own welfare if a fellow believer has sinned against them. And he warns very strongly against allowing anger and bitterness and any desire for revenge to take root in the hearts. Instead, he says, well, he encourages us to address the issue promptly and go and confront the person, say they've offended against them, and then hopefully conflict gets resolved straight away and it doesn't foster into something worse. And most importantly, it doesn't develop a sort of critical, bitter attitude in the person who's on the receiving end of the offence. So Jesus' response to when we're sinned against is to highlight actually the importance of forgiveness and reconciliation being the first step that we should take as believers. He urges us to prioritise that and of course by doing that, by prioritising that path, he is highlighting, prioritising humility forgiveness and reconciliation as the correct way to live our life and in all our relationships, even in the face of wrongdoing by fellow believers, and probably particularly in the light of that sort of behaviour. So, in summary, Jesus has taught his disciples to be vigilant and be prepared for potential conflicts and offences, both of them coming at us from believers and unbelievers, and the ultimate call is to respond in humility, going down this path of forgiveness and reconciliations, because that's the thing that will stop us becoming angry, bitterness growing in our hearts. Even in some extreme cases, people can be led to take revenge for when they feel they've been offended, and they let it fester. So the first thing is we're going to go to confront the person who's wronged us. The term rebuke is used suggesting that this can be a pretty forthright interaction. Confront the individual about their behaviour, while you feel it is wrong, why you feel it has offended you. Now while this can be challenging, it's crucial in resolving conflicts and maintaining a healthy relationship within the community. You might find that the reason that they have said or done what they've done, you've misinterpreted, or they have misinterpreted and, and or perhaps even received some false information about you, in which case the thing can be resolved and nipped in the bud, so, so to speak. You see, the advantage of doing it this way, friends, is that the idea of 
continuing gossiping around an event or a perceived offence can be sort of avoided and headed off at the pass, so to speak. You see, we're encouraged as believers to address our problems directly, but with humility and grace, always leaving the door open for forgiveness when repentance is expressed. Now, this approach aligns with the biblical principles, which is always attempting to prevent further escalation or conflict developing, particularly between believers. You see, if that person that has offended you, when you go and speak to them about it, actually understands what they've done and seeks forgiveness, repents in other words, we're actually not just advised to, we're told to forgive them. You see, repentance, of course, for it to occur, must involve them acknowledging the wrongdoing and expressing remorse. But if that is what happens, then in such cases, for our point of view, the Lord says forgiveness, our offering of forgiveness is required. It's essential because that's the only way you can have a reconciliation and go back to that starting point where a restore, restoration of that relationship where you're well disposed to each other. However, the person continues to sin against you even after they have repented and they continue to do it repeatedly, then Jesus advises his disciples to still extend forgiveness each time. That's when it gets tough, isn't it? Even though he says if it's happened seven times. So this demonstrates the importance of maintaining that spirit of forgiveness and grace, even in the face of ongoing offences, even in the faces of peers, as if that person hasn't really learnt their lesson. So ultimately, Jesus' teaching here is emphasising the importance, the absolute key central issue here is approaching these issues with humility, addressing conflicts directly, but always underpinned in the knowledge that we must always, we are commanded in fact, to extend forgiveness. That's the only way we can maintain a spirit of reconciliation within any community of believers. Well, any community, full stop. It is these principles that and only these principles that can promote unity, peace, and mutual respect between people. And it is the only way you can foster and build a healthy and vibrant Christian community. Now the disciples recognize how tough this might be, and they request that he increase their faith in order to be able to do it. And Jesus responds to this request by emphasizing the power of even a small amount of faith when applied in this area. Again, he uses the analogy, well, I'll say it's the mustard seed, which is a tiny seed which grows into this very large tree. That's, again, he's illustrating the concept. He's done it before, and he's done it in the same similar account to this one in Matthew's account. And essentially, Jesus is telling them that even the smallest amount of faith can accomplish great things, specifically, of course, when applied in this area. Now, the disciples' request for increased faith, it seems to me, likely stemmed from how challenging they recognized forgiving someone who sins against them. Well, that was hard, but to keep forgiving them repeatedly, then that's hard, and that's why they're asking for additional faith. They may have felt inadequate. They may have recognized that they may, in their own strength, have not been able to handle situations like that and believed in order to do that, they would need more faith to do it effectively. 
And in, in response, Jesus says they don't need a large amount of faith because even the smallest amount of genuine faith, when uh, when confronted with a situation like that and applied into it, it kind of expands to fill the space required of forgiveness available. And faith, as we're told elsewhere, metaphorically can literally move mountains. In this case, he talks about even a tree being uprooted and planted in the sea. So Jesus' message is clear, friends. Faith, no matter how small, is a powerful thing. But it's not the size of our faith that matters, but the genuineness and the trust and the place and trust we place in God, that very little mustard seed of our own faith when placed in the object of that faith that is God itself, that is the thing that can grow, enable us to not only confront the challenges, but enable us by the power of God's Holy Spirit to forgive even those who wrong, uh, wrong us again and again and again. In other words, remarkable things can be achieved through faith, but faith in God and what he can do. So in essence, Jesus is simply teaching here that to handle all the challenges that will present ourselves in our life, all those things that might risk to lead us astray through being hurt, offended, they all can be responded to by tr simply trusting, having faith in God's grace and power. The key is to trust God's ability to empower us to forgive others even if we feel in our hearts we can't do that personally, and even to give us the power to confront people with grace and humility when they've wronged us. So to summarise, I think Jesus provides three directives in this passage. Firstly, recognise the believers who cause you to stumble. They themselves should be left to God and his judgment. Secondly, to forgive believers who sin against you, regardless of many, how many times they offend you. And third, to trust in the Lord to grant you the grace and the strength needed to forgive and actually to go up in front of these people and tell them that they've offended you. Then in the closing section, from verse 7 onwards, Jesus continues the teaching and he does what we saw him do yesterday. He uses a story, a parable, to convey a sort of a deeper level to the, to the passage. The servant's work we see is to work in the field during the day and then come home and then when the master comes home in the evening to serve his meal. And Jesus highlights that the servant doesn't really expect to receive any special praise or recognition for simply fulfilling his duty, rather uh, is just simply expected of him as someone who genuinely serves the master willingly and out of love. So likewise, Jesus parallels this concept of the commandment he has given earlier in the passage about taking heed to oneself, rebuking those who sin and sin against you. These commands, he said, to do those things should be just treated in the same way as any reasonable servant's duty. Because when you fulfill the commands, you're simply doing what is expected of you as a follower of Christ. So this expression of forgiveness is absolutely expected of us as a basic outworking of our Christian faith in our attitude to other people in such situations. And Jesus emphasizes that in filling these commandments, in other words, doing even these challenging things that he's talking about here and responding to offense in this way, 
we're not doing it in order to earn any special extra reward or special recognition. It's simply our duty as a disciple. After all, we too were forgiven once when we neither knew nor cared that we had offended others and even offended God. There's a passage in Ephesians 4 where Paul echoes this sentiment also, emphasizing the importance of, as he puts it, putting away any bitterness, anger and malice, and instead showing kindness and forgiveness to one another. Just as the servant's duty is to serve his master, our duty as believers is to forgive others as God has forgiven us. The point is Jesus is making in this opening section of Luke 17 is the fact that yes we are to forgive but forgiveness as a Christian believers is simply part of our reasonable duty. Okay let me try and sum this up. He's warning of a danger here and he's saying the danger is that when a believer or an unbeliever but particularly when a fellow Christian believers offends you that puts you in great danger of being hurt and angry and bitter and that's a danger to your Christian life and your Christian walk. That's a danger because it can affect you but remember it's God's job to take care of the person who's offended you hopefully by bringing them to a point where they realize what they've done and repenting of it and it's happy days all around isn't it but if necessary, he and he alone will take care of that other person otherwise. But if you don't leave it with the Lord, what can happen is that then end you can end up, as is described here, tormented. Now, in truth, some of the most tormented people I've ever talked to were people who kept hanging on to a grudge. They would hang on to it for years and years and years. So be careful, friends. If you're offended by someone, it may hurt, it's going to hurt, but they themselves will probably not even know or care that they've offended you in such a way. Now, in drawing this to a conclusion, I was looking for an illustration. I always try and do that, but in studying this passage and the other passage parallel to it, Matthew chapter 18, which we actually covered in some detail a few months ago when we worked through that, we saw a story of Peter coming to Jesus. And you know what? I think there's no better illustration of this than the explanation and the that Jesus gives to Peter and the conversation that was held between them and what it really means, what are the potential risks, consequences and benefits of this. So I'm just going to close today by reading to you from Matthew's account of a ver either the same or very similar event in chapter 18 of that book. And it happens. Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? So that's the question mark. He's asking that of Jesus. Should he forgive him seven times? Jesus' reply. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who went to settle accounts with a servant. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, but he was not able to pay his master. And so the master commanded that he be sold and his wife and his children and all they had and that the payment may be made. That was the way they handled things in those days when it came to debts. Let me continue. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. 
But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So that servant fell down in his feet, begging, saying, Have mercy on me and I will pay you all. Now, if you look at the text carefully uh, for a moment, what that servant what that first servant said to his master is verbatim, word for word, what this second servant is now saying to this guy who uh, is money owed to him as well, but a much smaller amount. Have patience with me, I will pay you. But he would not. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he paid the debt. When his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved, and he came and told the master all they had done. Then the master, after he had called him, said to him, so he's back to the first guy, the main master calls him and says, You wicked servant, I forgive you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And as that master was angry and delivered him to his tormentors until he should pay all that was due to him. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers and sisters from the heart. That's the warning. That's the repercussions. Let's live in the blessings and benefits of a reconciled and peaceful community life in our own life and among other fellow believers rather than face the consequences of thinking otherwise. Thank you for joining me today. Okay, we leave it there. Thank you for being with me. Why not subscribe and that way you'll never miss another single episode. Why not visit us on the Bible Project at buzzsprout.com. There you'll find links to my new podcast in the episode notes, which is my history of the Christian church, which I'm putting on the history related genres and platforms of all the main podcast providers as a way of trying drawing people in who've never really examine the story of the church from a Christian perspective. You may also find that interesting to go. That's a weekly podcast I'm doing over there. I'm hoping that that podcast will also become viable as well by people wanting to engage and support with it and ensure new episodes are produced. But the main thing will always be the Bible Project Daily Podcast. It's an amazing project to work through the amazing Word of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse if, Lord willing, I'm able to keep doing this. Thank you for each and every one of you for joining me. Thank you for those who have already partnered with me on Patreon, enabling this podcast to be free all over the world, always free, always freely available in the public domain. And thanks again just for being here and for making the decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your everyday life. So with that said, I'll say bye-bye for now, and I'll hopefully see you back here again tomorrow on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.